Let's pray together. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in all of your splendor, your majesty, and your holiness. And like Reuben was just saying, we're, we want to behold you. And Lord, we understand that what it means to behold you is more than to see you. There is something deeper. And so, Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention to your word, would you open us up to that? pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, would you say hi to a few of the people who are seated right around you? And then you can go ahead and grab a seat. Well, last week was Easter Sunday. And uh, over 3,000 people joined us for worship. We baptized people. We had a wonderful uh, Easter Sunday. And typically what happens after Easter Sunday, a lot of times, is the uh, senior pastor who preached those services takes a little vacation break and there's a guest. And then we kind of move on. And today I don't want to do that. Uh, Not that I don't want to go on vacation. Um, I don't want to do that because after he was resurrected, a lot happened. And sometimes we can kind of gloss over, you know, we think that he, you know, he was raised from the dead. Next thing you know, Paul got on the scene and wrote the book of Romans and here we go. But actually for more than a month and a half, Jesus appeared to people. And if you, if you read those accounts and you really listen, you look at the words that are being said and you really try to understand, what's going on in these interactions? They're weird. Um, We looked at one of them last week, Mary, who, I mean, Mary... Mary Magdalene had seen, had seen Jesus, had followed him, had talked to him, and she's having a face-to-face encounter with this man who she knows profoundly, and she thinks he's the gardener. And that has got to tell us something about what was, what was happening to these people as they encountered Jesus in between his resurrection from the dead and his ascending into the heavens to be seated at the right hand of God. What was that like? So we're going we're gonna to take a, a look at an account that John gives us, a firsthand account because he was there. And John's going to talk to us and describe in some real detail, t- precisely to the amount of fish that were in the net. I mean, precise detail to try to explain something that is in some ways unexplainable. I'm going to ask you to take out your copy of God's Word to John chapter 21, and uh, stand your feet for the reading of God's Word. Hear this as God speaking to us through His Word today. After Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Seven of them. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, better interpretation would be boys, boys, you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in 
because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This, is now, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we know from your word that unless you give us supernatural power to see this, and unless you open up our minds to understand it, and unless you're moving in our hearts to grasp hold of it emotionally, These words can kind of fly at 30,000 feet right over our heads. Lord, don't let this happen. I pray, would you bring these words down to us so we can understand them? And can you bring us up to them so that we're, we're lifted up by them? And I pray that you would do all this by the ministry of your spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Any of you ever been to a meal that was weird with like a group of people that was weird and everybody in the room knew it was weird, but no one was going to say, hey, this is weird. Aren't we like that? Don't we have a phrase for that? The old elephant in the room, except this time it's the elephant on the beach and it's the elephant is Jesus. What do you think? I mean, really? James and John were sons of thunder. They were not lighthearted personalities. It should tell us something. And they were there at this breakfast. And they were looking at Peter. And Peter was looking at John. And John was looking at James. And then they were looking at the twin. Who his twin brother was, we don't know. And they're eating breakfast. And they're all having the same experience. But not saying anything about it. And I mean, if you think about it, they, they had been through a few things, you know. We can have some compassion on these guys. Um, it had been a little over three years of a pretty crazy times. When Jesus stepped in, when Jesus was baptized and then stepped into his ministry, it was on. And the whole nation of Israel was in an uproar. Um, I just thought maybe I could help us relate to this a little bit. Can anybody imagine a time period about three years when a bunch of things would go crazy that you'd had no idea was coming? You know what happened just about three years ago, right? And I mean, hasn't it been a 36 months like you just can't believe? Every week doesn't something else happen and you're like, what else is going to happen? I mean, these guys went through it. And Jesus was resurrected and had appeared to them. And yet here he is and they don't, they don't, there's something about this encounter that's, 
And John's telling us about it in a certain way. The phrase that John uses, he he does not say that the disciples saw Jesus. The way he, he describes it, he tells us that Jesus is doing something to them. The Bible says that Jesus is revealing himself to them. Which means in this encounter, the, the thing is going one direction, from Jesus to them. Now, uh, Jesus is by the Sea of Tiberias. If you didn't know, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's the same name. The Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, it's the same thing. It's a lake. It's the only freshwater lake in the nation of Israel. Uh, it's about twice the, um, the square mileage of the town of Medford. A big lake. Um, Capernaum, the town Capernaum is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. Although he was born in Nazareth, Mark chapter 2 tells us that Jesus had a home. His home was in the city of Capernaum. And uh, he had some close friends who also were from Capernaum. Simon Peter, his lead disciple, was from Capernaum. In fact, Simon ran a fishing business from the town of Capernaum where he would fish on the Sea of Galilee, and he was in a business partnership with uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So they knew each other. It wasn't only Jesus calling his disciples that brought them together. They, they had already known each other. And apparently this fishing endeavor that was a partnership between Peter and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John was very successful. Um, so successful that, um, remember, when, remember when Peter and John followed Jesus to the trial and they were going into the palace of the high priest Caiaphas in the capital city of Jerusalem, a city where James and John didn't live. They lived in Galilee. But when they went to that trial, John walked right into the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest, and scripture tells us he was known in that place. Uh, He was a successful and prominent, prominent businessman. James and John's father, his name was Zebedee, was also a partner in the fishing business, scripture tells us. And this business was so successful that that whole family was fairly wealthy. James and John's mother, Zebedee's wife, her name was Salome. Salome, the Bible tells us, was one of the most, um, sorry, was a financial investor in the ministry of Jesus. This fishing endeavor was pretty significant. But the Bible also tells us that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their mother Salome was Mary's, Jesus was Mary. Jesus' mother's sister. Everybody with me still on the family tree? Which meant that Jesus and John were cousins. So Jesus' cousin John was in a business partnership with Peter and James. And Capernaum, this town right here, was his hometown. So it shouldn't be surprising that after Jesus was resurrected, he was going to go back here. Don't you remember on the cross, Jesus looked at John and he looked at his mom and said, John, that's your mom now. Take care of her. Don't you think that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, if John was back in his hometown in Galilee and his mom was there and his brothers James and his sisters were there, don't you think that Jesus would have been there? Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help us see that Jesus was a real person. He, he didn't just hang out up in cloud land and every once in a while sort of drop down and have a ghost-like appearance with people. After all, when the guys came in from the shore and Jesus was on the shore, did you notice he already had a fire going and he already had fish cooking and somehow he had gotten some bread? 
And don't you remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples like Thomas in the upper room? He told them, put your finger and I want you to feel where the skin has closed back up over the place that the nail pierced me. I want you to rub your finger over and feel the part of my skin that goes up because that's the scar tissue. Touch it. And then open up his side and said, I want you to take your hand, take your hand. And he put Thomas's hand right here. You, okay, you feel that right there. Do you feel the scar? And the point that he was making was Jesus did not raise from the dead as a ghost. Jesus rose from the dead in his body. If, if forensic scientists could have gone to that beach afterwards and uh, they could have dusted for fingerprints and they would have seen, oh, yeah, Jesus was here. Jesus has fingerprints. Jesus ate breakfast with them. In that human body, Jesus raised from the dead. And the book of Acts tells us that in that human body, Jesus ascended and right now is seated at the right hand of the Father in his, in his human body, in his body. But that does not account for the fact that so many people would meet him after he was resurrected in a body and (laughs) not recognize him. Can I read to you another? I want to read to you another illustration, another example of, of Jesus appearing to two people who knew him, who were followers of his, who had a similar mystifying experience. This one's in, you don't have to turn there. This is in Luke 24, but if you want to know. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Don't you think if Jesus would have joined you resurrected on a walk, you would know it? Don't you think you would have? Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, so they stopped walking, looking sad. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Are you an idiot? And then, of course, you know, verse 19, in in his omnipotence, you think Jesus said, well, of course I know. I know all things. What does he say? What things? Tell me more. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he, this is Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones. 
and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now you would think that after Jesus walked them through how the entire Bible was about him, they'd say, oh, okay, you're, yeah, we get it. You're Jesus. Except why was it that they couldn't see him? What, what did Luke tell us about why they couldn't see him? Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they drew near the village where they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. See you later, guys. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Sound familiar? And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. 30 seconds before, they didn't know who he was. 30 seconds later, they knew that this was Jesus Christ. What does this tell us about what he looked like? And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I mean, can you imagine how wonderful that sermon was? While they were walking, listening to, listening to this sermon of Jesus, they're walking and they're listening to it. They don't know it's Jesus. They hear him unpacking the scriptures. And now we know what was happening the entire time while they were on that walk. And I want you to go with me here, okay? Here's what I want us to see. More than anything else, this is what I want us to see. They are walking with the resurrected Jesus in the flesh and he's teaching them. And their eyes can't see him. So their eyes, they can't see who he is. But what part of their body does know who it is? In their hearts, their hearts were burning the whole time he was talking. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you rather see Jesus with your eyes or burn with him from the heart? Would you? And these... These, the seven disciples that John told us about who are on that beach having a meal with Jesus and know everyone's eating that meal and Jesus is right there and they all know that it's the Lord. And none of them are daring to ask him anything. Now that word that John uses for ask, it's not like, hey, aren't you Jesus? Haven't I seen, haven't I seen you someplace before? It's not that. The word that John uses for ask is Investigate. Would you rather see Jesus with your eyes or would you rather see him with your heart? Now, I hope that everybody could feel the weight of what the Bible's telling us right here. Because none of you have ever seen Jesus' face. 
And you're like, I watched The Passion of the Christ seven times. I know he looks like Jim Caviezel. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm serious about this. You've never seen his face. But if you're a true Christian in here, don't you know him? And do you know him because you're smart enough and wise enough that you figured it out? Or has something happened to you? Has he been revealed to you? Has he talked to you in the Bible and what's happened in your heart is your heart was burning? I'm sorry, does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? <laughs> and he was raised from the dead and for a month and a half he appeared to people. Not to everybody. And the Bible tells us he he was not ascended to the Father. He appeared to many people. In one instance, he appeared to 500 people at a time. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians gives us a rundown of people that he appeared to. He appeared to a lot of people. Enough people enough people that we can know they're telling the truth. But not everybody. Why? And don't you sometimes just go like, man, Lord, why don't you just clear everything up and go on national television? I know that you can control the antennas or the internet or streaming. He could be on Netflix if he wanted to be. Why don't you just come on with one of those, you know, like the the alien movies when the aliens come and they take over every TV and phone with the message and Jesus say, quit jacking around down here. I'm real. Believe in me right now. Why doesn't he do that? You know? And the most clear answer from the Bible is because Only people who Jesus will be revealed to is people whom the Father has planned for him to be revealed to. And the way that Jesus is revealed to somebody and the way that somebody's heart burns within him is the Holy Spirit enters your life. And the Holy Spirit brings you an experience of Jesus that is more profound than seeing somebody with the eyes. And we all know this is true. And these examples of his appearance are told in a way that just clarifies more and more and more and more. A, a, a fact that's plainly true if you read the Bible. How many, Jesus was with, it walk, he would walk into the city of Jerusalem, he was in the country of Israel, he would preach sermons in front of thousands of people who would see him with their eyes. They would hear his voice. And they'd walk away and be like, nah, no thanks. People would see him. People would hear him. The disciples who were with him would see him, eat with him, hear him preach sermons, teach them. And the Bible tells us that they did not understand just any of the things that he was talking about. 
And then after he was crucified, resurrected, appeared to them, gave them the Holy Spirit, and ascended. He was no longer with them physically. And yet they knew more about him and understood him more clearly and had a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. They walked more closely with him when he was gone in the flesh than when he was with them in the flesh. Would you rather see him with your eyes? Or would you rather know him through the Spirit? Now, one of the last guys for Jesus to appear to in the, in the Bible is the guy named Stephen. And in Acts chapter 7, he preached a sermon. He went off. The, here's, I just want to tell you, this, is how he, this was his benediction at the end of his sermon. This is how you really conclude and bring a sermon to a close in a warm-hearted way that just brings everybody in. Winsomeness and just, you know, you stiff-necked people. <laughs> uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see heaven opened, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And where did he go? When he fell asleep, where did he go? I mean, when you fall asleep, where do you go? Dreamland. He fell asleep, where did he go? To be with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And how did that happen to him? How did he look up into heaven and see Jesus standing at the right hand of God? How did he see that? He was full of the Holy Spirit. Would you rather see Jesus with your eyes? Or would you rather have union with him through the Holy Spirit? Would you rather have your heart burn for him? Okay, that's my cue. I mean, the Bible tells us That because Jesus is resurrected and he appeared to people, because he revealed himself to people, if you're you're one of his, he's revealed himself to you. It's not something that you did. You didn't have this amazing insight or wisdom. What happened is, is Christianity happened to you. The Holy Spirit moved on you so that other people looked at him and didn't see him. And for you, he said, there he is. And now that he's ascended and seated at the right hand of God, of what benefit of that is that to us? 
Because wouldn't you rather have them right here? You know that the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, that Jesus is interceding for us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's praying for you. Now, let's think about what that's like. Because remember, Jesus has a body, scars, fingerprints. Um, if, you know, if you're a Christian here, don't you have a prayer list? Like, you know, you get towards the end of your prayer time, and you got like, you know, 10, 12 people that you're praying for, right? Your mom, everybody praying for your mom? She's still alive? You better pray for your mom. How long does she pray for you? Pray for your mom, you know, pray for your dad, you pray for your husband, your wife. Do you pray for your kids? Yes? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to pray for the president. Pray hard. (laughs) We're supposed to pray for those who are in government, right? Pray hard. Because don't forget, God, the the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. So, man, when when you're looking at the situation like, man, you know, what's the… You just go to prayer. Don't you? I mean, you have a prayer list. I, right there, I just gave you a prayer list. There's probably 15 or 20 people you should be praying for. Are you going to pray for all those on the same day? Probably, you're, no, probably not. You're going to rotate through your prayer list, right? Hope you pray for me. How long is Jesus' prayer list? What, a couple billion people are alive on the earth right now that are his followers? Probably. I don't know that. I'm guessing Probably. That's a pretty long prayer list, isn't it? How often do you think your name comes up on it? About every 20 years or so, the Lord Jesus prays for you for about 40 seconds. Right? No, 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 no. He's God. And the Holy Spirit's alive in you. And somehow, by some great miracle, he knows you. And you know him. And he knows what's going on in your prayer list. Some of the things on your prayer list that are so deep, you haven't figured out how to write them down yet. So what Scripture says, there are groans that you groan. You, you know the one I'm talking about? That thing on your prayer list that is deep. He knows that. And you don't come up on his prayer list once every 20 years. And the Bible tells us that the, the prayer of a righteous man is very effective. How effective do you think Jesus' prayer life is? When, he, when you come up on his prayer list and he's praying for you, how effective do you think that is? And why is that? Would you rather see Jesus with a pair of eyes that you have in your body or would you rather burn in your heart for him? Would you rather be in union with him, a kind of spiritual relationship with him? 
Okay, as I get ready to close. The Apostle Paul was a great pastor. He planted churches. He wrote to those churches. He loved loved them. He cared about them. And oftentimes his letters, he'd pray for them. And I mean, he'd be writing to churches that were going through hard stuff. It's it's the most amazing thing that when Jesus, or sorry, when the Apostle Paul would write prayers for the churches, he would almost never pray for a change of difficult circumstances. Isn't that odd? Aren't you praying all the time to get out of your junky circumstances? Aren't you? God, get me out of here. But Paul's praying for something deeper. Remember that story I was telling you about what happened to Stephen at the end of his sermon? That was a pretty, that was a, no, that was a pretty junky circumstance, what happened to him after that, don't you think? Did he pray, God, get me out of here? This is what Paul prays. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know. Know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want you to know what I'm trying to point out in this sermon. And I love you. And what I'm trying to do here... In these verses to show you that the eyes of your heart are deeper than the ones in your head. And there will be a day when you, with real eyes, you'll see Jesus. That's true. That's not stopping you right now from seeing him with your heart. Because the stuff that you need to know from God is not his hair color. What color is his eyes? Did he have a beard or not? What do you need more than anything else? You need love. And where can the eyes of your heart set themselves on the love of God where and I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and that you'd know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you'd be filled to the measure of the fullness of God
Jesus, I, this, this was an imperfect sermon. I pray that you'd take the parts of it that are useful and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, would you get them down into the nooks and crannies of our hearts where we so badly need it. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we could see everything that we have because of what's happened to Jesus Christ. I pray he be revealed and for us, our hearts would be burning and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.